Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's day 700, 700 days together in God's Word, and we come to Isaiah chapter 22. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please be our teacher and our guide. You are our God and our Father. We are your people. We long to hear from you. We need to hear from you. Would you speak to us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 22. The Oracle Concerning the Valley of Vision What do you mean that you have gone up, all of you, to the housetops? You who are full of shoutings, tumultuous city, exultant town. Your slain are not slain with the sword or dead in battle. All your leaders have fled together. Without the bow they were captured. All of you who were found were captured, though they had fled far away. Therefore I said, Look away from me. Let me weep bitter tears. Do not labor to comfort me concerning the destruction of the daughter of my people. For the Lord God of hosts has a day of tumult and trampling and confusion in the valley of vision, a battering down of walls and a shouting to the mountains, and Elam bore the quiver with chariots and horsemen, and Kerr uncovered the shield. Your choicest valleys were full of chariots, and the horsemen took their stand at the gates. He has taken away the covering of Judah. In that day you looked to the weapons of the house of the forest, and you saw that the breaches of the city of David were many. You collected the waters at the lower pool, and you counted the houses of Jerusalem, and you broke down the houses to fortify the wall. You made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool, but you did not look to him who did it, or see him who planned it long ago. In that day, the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and mourning for baldness and wearing sackcloth, and behold joy and gladness, killing oxen and slaughtering sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. The Lord of hosts has revealed himself in my ears. Surely this iniquity will not be atoned for until you die, says the Lord God of hosts. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Come. Go to this steward, to Shebna, who is over the household, and say to him, What have you to do here? And whom have you here, that you have cut out here a tomb for yourself? You who cut out a tomb on the height and carve a dwelling for yourself in the rock, behold, the Lord will hurl you away violently, O you strong man. He will seize firm hold on you and whirl you around and around, and throw you like a ball into the wide land. There you shall die, and there you shall be your glorious chariots. There shall be your glorious chariots, you shame of your master's house. I will thrust you from your office, and you will be pulled down from your station. In that day I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe, and will bind your sash on him, and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. 
and I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. And I will fasten him like a peg in a secure place, and he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. And they will hang on him the whole honor of his father's house, the offspring and issue, every small vessel from the cups to all the flagons. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, the peg that was fastened in a secure place will give way, and it will be cut down and fall, and the load that was on it will be cut off, for the Lord has spoken. Some pretty harsh words here in Isaiah 22 directed against Jerusalem. And it begins with this interesting expression, the oracle concerning the Valley of Vision. Um, You know, Jerusalem is built on a mountain, Mount Zion, and yet it's referred to as a valley. But a Valley of Vision is a place where you're going expecting to receive spiritual insight, expecting to receive a word from the Lord. And yet, what's being said about Jerusalem here is everyone's going up on their housetops and they're shouting and they're exulting. They're rejoicing and feasting. Let us eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. They're basically throwing a party instead of repenting. God has spoken harsh words against them. God has has called for the destruction of his beloved city and the judgment to come against her idolatry. Verse 5, the Lord of hosts has a day, a day of tumult and trampling and confusion in the valley of vision, a battering down of walls and a shouting to the mountains. And yet, they're just responding with glee and joy, and trusting in chariots and horses and maybe looking to Egypt to rescue them. It's it's a sobering, sobering call. Look at verse 12 and 13. In that day the Lord of hosts called for weeping and mourning, for balding and wearing sackcloth, and behold, joy and gladness, killing oxen and slaughtering sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. The Lord of hosts has revealed himself in my ears. Surely this iniquity will not be atoned for until you die, says the Lord God of hosts. There are things that God calls us to weep over. Sin, idolatry, faithlessness, worldliness, compromise, There are things that God calls us to lament over. And there are trials that he brings on us because of our sin that are a summons for us to repent. And if we refuse that, if we instead remain self-righteous and arrogant and proud and blissfully ignorant, unaware, unconcerned, we're disobeying God. And that is not good. So, when we see sin in our own lives, when we see sin in the life of the church, when we see sin in our community, we should be weeping, mourning, repenting, 
seeking the Lord, crying out to him and trusting in him, looking to him to save us. And not just looking to other saviors, other false deliverers, and not being glib or casual or callous about what God is doing. The very end of this chapter, um, he says that he's going to call for um, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. He's a, a priest. And he's going to be clothed with the robe, bound with the sash. He's, he's, he's becoming the high priest. He's getting that authority, right? And he's going to be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. He's going to place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. So he's giving him authority to bind and to loose. And he's going to fasten him in a, as a peg in a secure place. He'll become a throne of honor to his father's house. But in the end, in the end, verse 25, in that day, the peg that was fastened in a secure place will give way and it will be cut down and fall and the load that was on it will be cut off for the Lord has spoken. In the end, Eliakim's going to be cut down. He's not going to stand. It'll seem like he's the hope. It'll seem like he's the security. It'll seem like he's the one to lead the people, but he won't be. He'll be cut down. And in a sense, he also becomes a foreshadowing of Christ. Christ is the one who ultimately has the key of David given to him, who is clothed and who is anointed. And yet what happened to Christ? He was cut off. He was judged for the iniquity of God's people. He was crushed for the transgressions of God's people. Under the weight of the wrath of God, he fell. He was cut off for us. And yet, unlike Eliakim, he was able to take the full weight of our sin and to bear the full weight of the wrath of God. And then it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It was impossible for him to be finally and fully overwhelmed. He was declared to be the Son of God, with power by the Holy Spirit in his resurrection from the dead. He rose again. He triumphed. And he is alive forevermore. And he says, I have the key, not only the key of the house of David, but I have the keys of death and Hades. And I have triumphed. So I think we have two lessons here for us. One is, when God calls us to repent and to weep over our sin, we should not ignore that. We should not be calloused and hard-hearted. We should not respond to that with a sort of glib, got a party while there's time, you know, life is short, you know, live it up, right? Life is short, so we should live it well for the glory of God and for the good of others. And when God calls us to repent, we should repent. When God calls us to weep over sin, we should weep over sin. But then ultimately, we do need a deliverer. We do need someone who will be invested with authority and honor and power and might and wisdom to save us from ourselves and from our enemies and to be the one 
who will open and no one will shut, who will shut and no one will open. Everything that's said of Eliakim in verse 22, but then is sort of taken away in verse 25. We need someone like that. And that's been given to us in Jesus. In Jesus, the son of David, son of God, son of Abraham, king of kings, lord of lords, alpha and omega, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain and yet rose again, the one who was alive and dead and is behold is alive forevermore. He has conquered. And so even as we weep over sin, rightly, even as we grieve over faithlessness, rightly, we look to Jesus and we find our hope. We don't look to Egypt for horses and chariots. We don't look to the stock market for wealth. We don't look to the economy. We don't look to the next election cycle. We don't look to foreign affairs. We don't look to social media. We don't look to YouTube. We look to Jesus and we find the captain of our salvation. We find the anchor for our souls. We find our righteousness, our peace, and our salvation. So we can repent in hope. We can grieve and weep in joy that he has overcome for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We confess that when we look at our life, there's no shortage of sin that we see. When we look at your church, there's no shortage of sin that we see. But we need you. We need you to be our savior. We need you to be our God. We need Jesus to be our redeemer and the captain of our salvation. And we thank you that he is everything we need. He is the peg in a secure place who will never fail because he is the anchor for our souls and the cornerstone of your church and the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, that is Hebrews. Not Hebrews. <laughs> I use a lot of Hebrews language in my teaching and prayer. That's why Hebrews is on the brain. That is Isaiah 22. Um, thanks for joining me. Have a blessed day in the Lord.